today on Real Radio. If you say, I don't believe in, in eternity, you know what? I think you do. I don't wonder, I don't worry about death. I think you do. And the reason why is because you and I are, as believers, know something about what goes on in your life too as an unbeliever. And that is the Holy Spirit is alive and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he wants to bring you salvation. Welcome to Real Radio with Pastor Jack Hibbs. I'm David J. thanking you for joining us today as we listen, learn, and are challenged by God's Word, the Bible. On today's edition of Real Radio, Pastor Jack now continues his series called The First Epistle of Peter with a message called From Here to Eternity, Part 2. You know, the Apostle Peter was one of the disciples of Jesus, who then later became the leader of the early church. His story is ancient, but really no different than what's happening today. We still are in need of a Savior, and Christ followers still need Peter's heartfelt words of compassion and encouragement. In part one, we learned, we're just pilgrims here. This world is not our home. This is good news for those of us who love Christ and who are looking forward to his return. Our final destination is an awesome place called heaven, an eternity that's incorruptible, undefiled, and will not fade away. It's why our journey towards heaven, though difficult and painful at times, fills us with confidence that the power of God that is keeping us today will see us through all the way to the end. So today on day one of this message, Pastor Jack tells us that God's hope is a living hope. He is merciful, he's generous, and he delights in the fact that we are his. God is always at work in our lives, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to guide us and perfect us towards purity. Even when we feel like things are falling apart, he never fails us. And now in his message called From Here to Eternity, Part 2, Here's pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs. Father, we ask, Lord, now that you would go before us in your holy, lofty, awesome, precious word, the Bible. And God, we thank you that this morning we are gathered around truth that will never fail, truth that is always, always, not only enduring, but everything else will fade away. When eternity is all alone by itself, your word will stand sure and firm. So, Father, this morning, give us ears to hear and give us a heart of a student. And may we have our pens poised, as it were, as the ready writer to be ready to learn. And, Father, we thank you for what you worked through your word in a man called Peter for us to learn about today. Lord, bless the teaching of your word in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated now. and. Again, picking up after we've been away from this book for the last several weeks, you, you read a moment ago where Peter is announcing to us and to those that were in the dispersion, remember those that had been driven out from their culture because of being a Christian. They're, as it were, on foot in the Roman Empire. They're being persecuted for their faith. Emperor Nero has launched a gruesome attack against them. And Peter writes to them who are fleeing because of their association with Jesus. And he tells them, as you read a moment ago, that it's a living hope that God has given them. And this living hope, as we saw last time, is a hope that it's something beyond that this world can offer. This world will offer you and I a type of hope, but the hope that the world gives us is a broken hope. It's a hope that cannot be guaranteed. It's a hope that is fleeting. It's what the 
world offers, and, and it's all that they can offer is this type of hope. God's hope is a never-ending hope, is, is a forever hope, and it's founded upon the very fact of Jesus Christ. You read a moment ago that it's Christ who's been risen from the dead. Your hope, listen, your hope, that is not your ability to keep hope alive. Your hope is a living hope that is imparted to you by God. It's God's business to keep that hope alive in your life, and he will do it. How sure can we be of that? Because Christ lives. He was resurrected from the dead. That's how assured your hope is, and we'll learn more about that today. We saw that in our previous study that it's about confidence. When we talked about the portion of this scripture regarding our lives and eternity, we saw, number one, that we're to be confident. The Christian could be confident, and we looked at three very important things in chapter one, verse three, and that is that we can be confident knowing this, that God is delighted. Verse three, it, it announced to us that God is delighted to be our God and to have us as his children. We saw that our God is merciful. Our God is merciful in a world of persecution and hurt. It's our God that extends to us mercy. We saw that he's generous. Our God is very generous. He's provided all that we need in this life as believers. God will never fail us. Then we saw in our study that we can have confidence and that we can be assured. Verses four through five. We saw this, that we can be assured knowing that he gives all, that God is the one who spent the life of his own dear son to guarantee for us this salvation, to give us this assured hope. He gives all. We saw also, and it's comforting to us, in verse five, we learned that God cannot fail us. It is impossible, church, listen, it's impossible for God to fail you and I. We need to hear that because often we think that God does fail us. We, we would never admit it, but we feel like God fails us. He doesn't fail us. He can't do that. When, all, when everything else seems to be falling apart, we can be confident in knowing he will not fail us. And then we left off with this last time is that it's God's idea. It is God's plan. It is God himself who brings to us salvation at the end of verse five. God brings the salvation. Listen, you don't need to raise your hand. Don't you, inside of you, long and desire to be saved, rescued, to be in heaven, to see God, to experience him? The answer to that question is an overwhelming yes. Even if you're an atheist, I think you're lying about being an atheist, by the way. I know you look beautiful if you're here right now, but if you're an atheist and you're saying, I don't believe in God, you know what? I think you do. If you say, I don't believe in, in eternity, you know what? I think you do. I don't wonder, I don't worry about death. I think you do. And the reason why, I'm not making fun of you, the reason why is because you and I are, as believers, know something about what goes on in your life too as an unbeliever. And that is the Holy Spirit is alive and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and he wants to bring you salvation. Isn't it remarkable? You don't want anything to do with heaven, but God wants you in heaven. And God wants you to experience his salvation. So church, here we go. The third argument, we pick it up now, is found in verses six through seven, and that is this. From here to eternity, God is at work, and listen, we are to be a pure people. Now, I, I, I don't wanna lose you on this. <laughs> a pure people. So what does that mean? Well, we're gonna look at that. God requires that you and I, watch, be pure in our Christian witness and conduct in life, 
internally, that is in our thought life, and externally by our actions, we are to be pure both now and forever, and God is at work doing that. And so look at verse six, it says, in this, Peter's announcing, in this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Every Christian must go through trials. But the first thing we see about this is that we are to be made pure, and that is by perfecting. Can you write that down? You need to put that in your notes. Verse six is telling us that God is at work in the life of every believer, perfecting us toward purity. There's an awesome theological fact that we can take comfort in knowing right now, and it is this, that God, who is the one that desires you and I to meet him face to face is preparing you and I. Church, listen, how was your morning this morning? How was yesterday? What was going on in your life? How has your week been since last Sunday to today? Whatever has gone on in your life as a believer, God is using, God is working, God has been molding and shaping you in this area of perfecting you toward purity. This is the life of the Christian. That's why life's hard for the Christian. God is working. Look around here. The place is being uh, remodeled and done up. Things are being sanded. Things are being scraped. If you'd have walked in here earlier this week, they had some saws going and metal was being cut and sparks were flying. What was happening? Construction. God does the same thing. He's doing a work in our lives, and he does that by perfecting. And Peter tells us, in this you greatly re rejoice. Quite remarkable. Can you and I today admit that it's been a trying time or a difficult time or a, a time that you've never encountered before? Then you can just mark right now, I don't understand what's going on. I know that I'm a believer. I'm trusting God. Then what is happening? God is saying to you right now, you can greatly rejoice. Watch this. Choose to now. Greatly rejoice knowing this, that for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials. The trials do grieve us. Now you might say, look, Jack, come on, look at that verse. Is there something wrong with my Bible? It says, in this you greatly rejoice, though for a little while we are grieved by these trials. That one verse has got rejoicing and trials in the same verse. Is the Christian really supposed to be somebody who can rejoice in the midst of trials? Church, the answer to that is yes. We often fail, we often miss it, because listen, we're not walking in that place of realizing God is always at work in our lives. Even, listen, maybe so, maybe so, even when we feel as though he's not. God is at work. James chapter one tells us, verse two, James chapter one, verse two says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing now, this is awesome, not feeling, but knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect or perfecting work that you may be, what does it say? Perfect, the word means complete. God is at work. He wants you and I to be pure. And we would all sign up, yes, God, do that in my life. And God says, okay. And he rolls up his sleeves, as it were, and he goes to work on you and I. And that happens with people, interaction, marriage, life, business, work, issues. Listen, it happens in your head. Thoughts, debates, arguments in your own mind. Temptations, 
issues that are thrown at us, everything under the sun, God is saying, I'm at work, I'm perfecting you. And it's a good thing, it's a great work. It's a painful work, but it's a great work. First of all, we need to remember this. What he's saying to us, how can we possibly rejoice in these difficulties? Because what Peter is saying, and I love the fact that Peter is saying it because he's, he's lived it. Peter is saying basically this. Allow me to put it this way. Your rejoicing can be at 30,000 feet above the weather, looking down upon all that's going on. Because it is not a feeling, it is a perspective, it is an act of faith that you and I take that we're going through the storm, we're going through this cancer, we're going through this battle, we're going through this issue. And I'm going to choose now to trust God at his word that he's working in my life. I don't understand it. Church, wouldn't it be great if we understood everything that was going on? That would be great, but here's the deal. There would be no reason for faith if you understood everything that's going on. I wish I could tell you something different, but that's the way it is. And so God's given us his word to choose. I'm going to rejoice in this situation. And Peter remarkably says that it's just for a season. It's just for a little while. The word little while here means for a short season. It means for a season. I love the word. It means a season, like in a year, four seasons. It means that it's a little shorter of a season. We've had that in life. We've had that in California. Our winters are a short season. And our summers are long. You might say, well, Jack, my, my grief has been long and my relief has been short. Whatever the case may be, God's word tells us that whatever you and I are going through, it's a short season. In eternity, in life, it's all gonna be worth it. And when the Bible says here to rejoice, because it's just a little while, listen to this, the word rejoice here means, and you're gonna wanna write this down, the word means to make glorious. It's incumbent upon the believer. Are you a Christian this morning? This is what God's word says to you. The situation you're in today, you must decide, I'm I'm gonna make it glorious from this perspective of 30,000 feet. It means to make exalted. It means to put something in the category of rejoicing. I'm going to repeat that. I like that. Do you like that? Take the issue and put it over in the category that is labeled rejoicing. So Christian, what is it in your life right now? What is that thing that is just gnawing on you? You know, we all have those things. And if you don't have those things, we are going home with you today because we could use your encouragement. It's the gnawing, it's the biting, it's the issues, it's the stuff. God says, take it, Jack, and place it under the category of rejoicing. You gotta move it over there. Highlight it, cut, go to the category of rejoice, paste. That's what God would have us to do. That's a decision you and I make. It's a willful decision. And all of your life's issues, the hardships, the fractured things, God would have you put that under the category of praise and worship. Listen, you go, um, there's no greater thing. And, and you know, first service, don't tell second or third service this, but first service, you guys show up for worship. And that's a smart thing. You're very, very smart. Second service is pretty good. Third service shows up just about 10 minutes before service is over. They don't realize that they're ripping themselves off. Whenever you and I do not take our challenges to worship and rejoice, 
We rip ourselves off. Take what it is in your life, set it before an altar in your bedroom or in your living room or go outside in the backyard and take out a lawn chair and set the issue down. If you have to, write something on it. Write, this is the thing that makes me sick. (laughs) Put it in a chair there and say, Lord, I'm giving it to you and I'm gonna decide, choose willfully now, get into rejoicing and I'm gonna praise you and that stuff begins to lose its bite. And if you don't believe me, go home and try it and then write me later and say, wow. It's true, determined to do that. And the word grieved, this is a powerful word, that we be grieved for a little while, a little season. The word means to be in great distress. It means to be made heavy hearted or to become sorrowful of soul, emotionally wounded in body, spirit, or mind. That exact word is this word. Matthew 26, 37, you know the event. Jesus is in the garden of Gethsemane and he's nearing the moment of his arrest and the cross. And the Bible says, and he, Jesus, took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and he began to be sorrowful and, what's the word, deeply distressed. Jesus had that exact same event take place in his life. And the Bible says, Peter says, which I think is remarkable, Peter was there when Jesus was going through his hour of great distress. Do you remember what, do you remember they all fell asleep? Jesus comes back and says, couldn't you stay awake and pray for me for an hour? And years later now, when Peter writes this, he's an old man now. I wonder if that was in his head. I think, I think I'm pretty certain it was in his head. But the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible and he uses the same word for our lives that we're gonna go through the crushing in life where you and I have a great sense that we've reached the end of hope. But that's not true. Greed by various trials. The word various trials means multicolored, I love this, multicolored, multifaceted trials. So what does that mean? Anything and everything that's coming against your life God is using. Now, I I don't want to belabor this. This next part's not in my notes, and I want to stay true to the time. If Satan brings against you or the world brings against you a temptation, remember, Satan tempts, the world tempts. God doesn't tempt us. And being tempted is not a sin. You're all familiar with the verse, what Satan has meant for evil, God turned it around for good, right? So when Satan draws his arrow and shoots you in the head with a thought, and you start to battle that thought, what the enemy's trying to do to kill you spiritually or or, uh, sterilize you spiritually, God takes his weaponry and gets involved in your life and a battle ensues regarding that temptation and you fight it by bringing that thought under the captivity of Christ a hundred times a day if you have to, but you don't give in. And you fight. And even though Satan engineered it, God will use it to perfect you. Listen, if Satan pulls out three arrows and shoots them at you at one time, and as you walk with God, and you are resisting those and fighting those, and you are victorious in the fight, look, your armor may be dented, you might have dirt across your face, but you're winning. You're fighting and you're winning. This is the Christian life. 
And as that victory is there, now, in our modern day language, I would say it this way. Great job, Jack. Hang on to my word. Get ready, catch your breath, because another assault's gonna come by the enemy. You're doing great. Hang in there, buddy. And oh, by the way, keep your eye on the prize, because what he's trying to do to destroy you, watch what happens. Jack, here's what I'm gonna do. Every time he launches a big one against you, it's gonna be reflected off, and I'm gonna redirect it, Jack, and it's gonna land right on the enemy's head. Isn't that what the psalmist talks about? Lord, hear the, hear the attacks of my enemy and bring it upon his own head. Even the temptation Satan launches. Now, on the other side, there are the trials that are engineered by God. Trials come to us to grow us up, to perfect us, always to perfect us. We could be, listen, we can go through a trial and be walking in. You can be afflicted with a trial and be walking dead on with God in a, in a wonderful submitted life to God. And you're going through a tremendous thing. Why? Because God is graduating you up to the next level of spiritual growth. Or you could be a believer and you could be sinning. You can be in rebellion against God. And as a believer, God will allow a trial to come into your life to get your attention, to get you back. David said, I went astray. But when you afflicted me, I returned back to your word. And uh, everybody knows what that's like, grieved. I had to, I had to uh, share this with you. Dr. Warren Wiersbe says about this, when God's children go through a season of testing, he is careful to keep his eye on the clock and his hand on the thermostat. He's, what you're going through, God's got an expiration date on it, don't panic. Peter says, don't panic. God's got an eye on the clock and he's got a hand on the thermostat, meaning he's not, you're not gonna get burned. This, this time of purification, which leads us, by the way, to verse seven, the fact that God will make us pure by refining. He perfects us, and how does he do that? By refining, to be refined. Verse seven says that the genuineness of your faith being much more precious than gold that perishes. Wow, though it is tested by fire. Notice, please mark it in your Bible, in your notes, your faith. Look, he says the genuineness of your personal, private faith. Church, it is the most valuable asset that you own is your faith. Not your home, not your money, not your friends, not your family, it's your faith. There's nothing more powerful, more needed, more worthy of your time and attention than your faith. Pastor and Bible teacher, Jack Hibbs, here on Real Radio, in a message called From Here to Eternity, Part 2. We're so glad you joined us today, and we hope that you allow the Lord to work within you a spirit of joy that the world will never be able to take away. From Here to Eternity, Part 2 is part of Pastor Jack's series called The First Epistle of Peter. It's a series that takes us through the life and times of the Apostle Peter, whose love for Jesus Christ carried him through great persecution and whose compassion for others still inspires us today. And we'll continue on the next edition of Real Radio. You know, if this message of Peter's love for God and his compassion towards others inspired you at all, if having peace in the middle of anxiety or during this fearful time of COVID-19 is what you're looking for, well, we'd like to help. At our website, reallifewithjackhibbs.org, there's a tab you can click on, and it's labeled Know God. Now, once you're there, we think it'll give you the guidance you're looking for. 
and eternal life in heaven is only possible when you surrender your life to Christ. So head on over to reallifewithjackhibbs.org, discover salvation for yourself and what it means to continually walk in the peace and power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Also at our website, you'll find Pastor Jack's messages on how to keep growing and learning through your journey towards heaven. It's all right there at reallifewithjackhibbs.org. That's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. This program is made possible by the generous contributions of you, our listeners. Visit us at reallifewithjackhibbs.org. That's reallifewithjackhibbs.org. I'm David J. Until next time, Pastor Jack Hibbs and all of us here at Real Radio wish for you solid and steady growth in Christ and in His Word. We'll see you next time here on Real Radio.